Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you. My name's Barry, and uh, I'm the campus pastor at Taramara, and I've got the privilege of being able to speak with you this morning. And welcome to every one of you who are here. Uh, it's been lovely this morning. I've already met some people for the first time, and I know that there's some people watching online for the first time today, so a big welcome to you. Uh, so good to be with you again. Uh, this year, 2024, is a big year in the Olympic area because in Paris, the Olympics going to be held uh, this year. And um, I know I lived in Sydney in the year 2000 and I had the privilege, I lived just near Parramatta and one day I got on the train when the Olympics was on and I couldn't believe it. Strangers started to talk to each other. What the Olympics brought to Sydney was just this, it was like a fresh stream of life flowed through Sydney for those couple of weeks because what had happened, strangers became friends, people talked to each other on the trains that wouldn't normally, I think those that would normally get into fisticuffs with each other didn't, they stopped and they said let's talk to each other. Uh, the news was positive, the community changed, the culture of Sydney it was just amazing during those two weeks. And for any of you who, I can see lots of people nodding their heads because I know that you lived here in Sydney at the time and it was just quite amazing. You know, when it comes to sport, some of us, um, am I on, Zach? I'm good, aren't I? Yeah, good. Um, some of us love to watch sport, but when it comes to sport and exercise, the benefits are not for the spectator. The benefits, the physical, the emotional and the mental benefits are for those who actually participate. And it's the same with our spiritual life. It's the same with spirituality. Spirituality is not something that we spectate and observe. It's something that we participate in and we get involved in. And that's what helps us become the people that Jesus intends us to be. The way to grow spiritually for each and every one of us is to practice the things that Jesus practiced. Sydney's a beautiful city. It's a great place to live. And in Sydney, we have um, amazing rivers. I mean, if you go out west, you go, you've got the Hawkesbury River, that, uh, the Nepean River that becomes the Hawkesbury River. And it's a massive river that goes, for goes a long, long way. It's almost surround Sydney. And then you go further south, and then you get the Lane Cove River. And then there's the Parramatta River. And you go a little further south, and we've got the Georges River, and you go further south again, the Hacking River. And each of these rivers provides a source of life for animals and plants uh, in and around it, but also is a source of life for human beings. Because without these rivers, we probably wouldn't have the water supply that we have. And, and without these rivers, there wouldn't be uh, all these different beautiful places that you can live in Sydney and places to go for walks. And so the rivers are there as a source of life. And today, we're going to continue a series on, on fresh streams of life. Jesus said this. He said, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scripture declares... Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Jesus is the ultimate one who is the source of life. He, he, he said, I am, I am the life, I'm the way, the truth and the life. I am the living water. He used that term to help us understand that he is the source of spiritual life. And he has for us uh, these patterns of living and, and, and there's these six ways and Sam kicked off the series last week as, we, as he talked about prayer 
And prayer is one of the streams of life that will help you grow in your relationship with God and come to know God better and, and, and experience the freshness of the streams of life that God has for us. These six streams, by the way, some of us will resonate more with one than the other and some of us will be stronger in one or the other. And these six streams that we're looking at, actually, we're actually really, what we're looking at is almost 2,000 years of church history every week. And we're looking at these various streams that, that Christians have practiced. And today we're going to be looking at one of these streams. But Jesus, the streams that he lived are these, the prayer-filled life. Jesus had a prayer-filled life. Sam talked about prayer last week. A compassionate life. A spirit-empowered life. A word-centered life. The missional or other-centered life. And the distinctive life. And these six streams are like the six streams of the six big rivers of Sydney. They provide life for plants and animals, but in the spiritual realm, these six streams provide life for us. And my encouragement and the purpose of this series is to encourage us to appreciate the different streams, that some of us will lean more into one than the other, but that we as the church might see that these six streams are lived out in the life of Jesus, modelled for us and for us to embrace and do all we can in following these streams. Dallas Willard is a great author in this area of spirituality, and he's, he's written this. He says this, Nothing less than life in the steps of Christ is adequate to the human soul or the needs of our world. Let that soak in. Because that's truth. That's truth. Nothing less than life in the steps of Christ is for our soul and the needs of our world. So let's, um, let's go swimming. Let's dive into one of the streams. Let's go for a swim. I mean, some of us want to go to the beach, but we're going to dive into one of these streams. What do we notice about Jesus when Jesus was amongst children, when he was amongst men and women and people in their senior years? Here's what we notice about Jesus. Jesus always acted appropriately. He always interacted with people appropriately. He was always timely and he was always pure in those relationships. In short, Jesus lived with integrity. And today we're going to look at the distinctive life. And, uh, and another word for this word is holy. Jesus lived a distinctive life. And we are called to as well. What is distinctive? What is, what is, you know, when I say the word holy, some of us are reacting. Some of you watching online and some of you in this room are reacting right now to the word holy. Because you're thinking of some, some holier-than-thou pastor preacher preaching, he's better than you and you're all scum. No, that's not what... Well, if you're not thinking that, that's great. And if you were thinking that, that's not so great because that's not what we're about. But some people, this word holiness has a lot of baggage. It has a lot of baggage. And, and, and people think that holiness is about perfection. And it's, or, and, and, and it's about um, uh, just having everything worked out. Let's have a look at this, this word, holy and distinctive. Distinctive means to be holy, to be pure, to be whole, 
uh, to be virtuous, and even that word virtuous, people go, oh, I don't want to be virtuous. Oh, if I'm virtuous, I'll be seen as a goody two-shoes and people won't like me. Holiness is not about making sure the external life looks good. It's about the inner condition of the heart. Holiness is about the inner condition of the heart. Holiness is not making sure um, that we look good on the outside. It's about letting God deal with us on the inside. So holiness is about living differently. It's being set apart, distinct, separate, not separate in that you separate yourself from others because we live in the world, but we have to live differently. So what is holiness defined? Holiness is simply living a life that functions well as God intended. That's a simple definition of what holiness is. The distinctive holy life, it's not about rules. It's not about judgment. It's not about legalism. It's not about perfectionism. It's not even about getting in good with God. It's not getting into heaven even. It's about getting heaven into us. And God wants to get heaven into us. It's about being aware that in our own heart, that the source, that the motivations of our heart and the source of our beliefs and the source of our actions come from the heart. And it's about saying, God, my heart isn't what it needs to be. And I need you to cleanse my heart. I need you to make me holy. Richard Foster writes this. He says, we yearn for the inward transformation of the heart. We, we actually yearn for it. Because we know that the heart is sick. And we know that we need change in here. And we need to develop healthy habits to address the erosion of the moral fibre in our society, he writes. Let's have a look at what Jesus said. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And then the writer of the Hebrews, the writer to the, the writer of the book of Hebrews says this, make every effort to live at peace with everyone and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so you look at that and you go, well, I know I'm not holy, so there's no hope for me because <laughs> I know I'm not perfect. And by the way, this, this is a... Is there anyone in the room who, is, or anyone online, is there anyone here who is, who is just like Jesus? No. I mean, I'm not talking about the beard and the hair. I mean, I'm way, way away from that. But, but is there any, so none, of, none of us are like Jesus. But guess what? Here's, here's the good news. The good news for every person is this. Because Jesus is the perfect one and because he gave his life on the cross and he rose again, when we put our trust in him for our relationship with God, God the Father declares us holy. He says, you're good. When we put our trust in Jesus, when we turn from living life our way and we trust our life to Jesus, God declares us holy. But not only that, he calls us to live a life of holiness. In other words, to become like Jesus. So as we discover this distinctive life, what I want us to see today 
that's really, really important is that God's goal for you and for me is that God's goal for me and God's purpose for you, the, the one thing that God is on about for you right now is to make you more and more and more like Jesus. That's what God wants for you, to become more and more like Jesus. And we know that ultimately we won't be like Jesus until we see him face to face. But there's a process that we can be involved in that that brings fresh streams of life to our soul as we become more like Jesus. You know, each of us face temptations. I do, you do. And these take us away from life as it was intended. And the temptations are the cravings of our desires, the lust for power, the lust for possessions, the, the love of money. There's so many things that, that, that take us away. And, and um, Jesus faced the same temptations too. And Jesus shows us what a distinctive life looks like. He was tempted. Here's the thing about Jesus. He was tempted to access for his very own use the three big social institutions of the day back then, and these three big social institutions are alive and well today, what were they? Well, let's look at them briefly. Exploitative economics, manipulative religion, and coercive politics. They're the big three. And Jesus faced the big three. Let's look at the first one, exploitative economics. Jesus was out, he was hungry, he, he, he was hungry in the desert for that 40 days. And the devil comes to him and says, these rocks here, you could just say, Let's be, let, let them be bread and they will become bread. And this temptation was a temptation for Jesus to use for himself the natural world in such a way that not only would it please his hunger, but it would also be, he would then be the wonder miracle worker who would provide bread for the masses because the Israelites at the time of the Roman Empire, many of them were poor, many of them were starving, and Jesus would have been the wonder bread maker. This was a very subtle temptation, and Jesus replies to the devil and says, people live... Life is in the Word of God. We don't live just by food alone or by bread alone. We need to live by the Word of God. The next one that Jesus faced was that of manipulative religion. Jesus is taken to the top of the temple and he's tempted to throw himself down from the top of the temple. And just before he hits the ground that the angels will come and swoop out of heaven and swoop down and rescue him just before he hits the floor of the temple. By the way, at the temple at the time, hundreds, perhaps thousands of people worshipped God. And this would have been for Jesus an opportunity for him to express how spectacular he was or that he had God's approval because how awesome would it be if he did such a big feat, did the razzle-dazzle, got there and then what happened? This would definitely show God's approval of him if this was to happen. This was a temptation that Jesus faced and Jesus said this, don't put God to the test. Don't test God. Don't test God. And then there was a third temptation that he faced and it was in politics. The devil tempts Jesus and says, 
Give me your soul and I will give you the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. This is a temptation for Jesus to be the ruler of the world just then, right then, right then, forever. And Jesus sees the temptation for what it is. The devil is coercing him politically. And by the way, these temptations, they don't exist today, do they? They sure do. Exploitative economics, manipulative religion, and coercive politics. These exist right in our society today. And for those of you who have ears to hear and eyes to see, look out for these temptations because they're very real. And Jesus, when the devil tempts him with this temptation, he says, worship the Lord God only and serve him alone. He is the one to be served. Jesus says. So Jesus lived a very distinct life. And how did, how, did Jesus, how did Jesus survive the temptations? Well, we say, well, he's God with skin on. He's the son of God. Of course he can resist the devil. Yes, and well, he was human. And as a human being, what was it that enabled him to withstand the temptations so that he would live the distinctive, holy, separate, different life the first thing is that he was grounded in his identity he knew who he was he knew that he was the son of god and for you and i to withstand temptation that comes our way we need to find our security in who we are that we are loved children of god and it is in our relationship with god that we get all that we need rather than in the temptations that come our way and subtly can creep into our heart. That's the first thing. The second thing Jesus did is he, he used Scripture. He was quoting Scripture. He knew the Scriptures and he used the Scriptures. He used God's Word in helping him live the distinctive life. And you might say, well, that's Jesus. What about me? It isn't fair. You know, what about me? I can't live like Jesus. Well, today what I want us to do is have a look I want us to look at how some practical ways that we can live a distinctive life. Because it is important, this living differently, distinctively, holy, is really important to God. And so uh, what I want us to do, I want to introduce you to three people from the Scriptures. These are three spiritual life coaches, leaders of the Christian church. Um, people that had, a, had an influence back then and have an influence today as we hear uh, from them. They, these guys can help us in practicing the distinctive life. So here's the first one. From Paul, we, we learn the importance of training ourselves. Training ourselves. So Paul wrote to a guy called Timothy. Timothy was a pastor. And he says this to Timothy. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. I might just add the word old husband tales too, just so that we have equal opportunity, um, but have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. How good is this? Paul helps us see that godliness, living like Jesus, is really, really important. 
and, and, the, and that there are benefits in this life and the next. How do we train ourselves? How do we train ourselves? Well, there's a few ways. Um, I want to just share a little bit of the story of John Wesley. John Wesley lived in the 1700s, and you might go, well, that was a long time ago. Yes, it was. He was one of 19 children. His mother, Susanna, had 19 children. Four of them didn't survive very long. But John was one of 19, and every morning and every night, Susanna in the 1700s, with all of these children, would say a prayer with them and read a Bible verse with them every morning and every evening. And so John, as he's growing up, he's hearing the scriptures and he's learning what it means to pray. And Bible study is really important. Reading the Bible is really important. Uh, His mother um, taught the children to memorize the Psalms, the Proverbs, and the New Testament. Um, This this was incredible. And 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 as an adult... John Wesley somehow spent between four and nine hours a day in prayer and Bible reading. Now, I'm not saying that we all got to do this, but there was this guy, John Wesley, was known for living a distinctive life. And what he did is he practiced Bible reading and prayer. And as, a, as, a, as an adult, he would have, as a young man, he would have read this How, Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? How can they? By living according to your word. Two verses later, he would have read this. I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The Bible, God's word, is so important for our life in living a distinctive life. Prayer was another thing that he participated in. He, he, would, he would pray, he'd get up in the morning at four o'clock and pray for an hour. And then later on in the day, he'd get together with a group of friends and they'd pray for an hour. And then sometimes he would pray publicly. He prayed privately in groups and, and publicly. He was involved in prayer and fasting. Every Monday and every Friday, he didn't eat food. He fasted for the purpose of focusing on God. Fasting today, for some of us, that might be something we need to do. It's something that might be helpful for us. Fasting can be in all different kinds of ways, though. We could fast maybe from um, watching our phones or social media. We could fast from things that distract us from building our relationship with God. There could be things that you could practice to help you live a distinctive life. So we learn from Paul the importance of training ourselves. We learn from James the importance of traveling with Jesus. You know, when Jesus was born, um, just after Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary, not just after, but after Jesus was born, in the years after that, uh, they had more children. Mary had four more boys and two girls, at least. Jesus was the oldest in a family of seven children. Five boys, two girls. I'm from a family of seven children. Five boys, two girls. And none of us is Jesus. But here's the thing. James, James didn't like Jesus. 
James didn't believe in Jesus. James didn't follow Jesus. James, as the younger brother, James didn't accept Jesus' mission. In fact, some, one time, James, this half-brother of Jesus, came to Jesus and said, we've got to take you away because you're a crazy man. This was the nature of their relationship. And then Jesus died. He was crucified. He was buried. And then he rose again. And James didn't know that this had happened. And then Jesus shows up to James one day and does one of the most beautiful, kind, compassionate, caring things that Jesus could ever do to anyone. Jesus reveals himself to James. Jesus shows James that he's resurrected, that he's alive. And this radically transforms James's heart. It changes his whole life. James becomes um, a follower of Jesus. He becomes a servant in the church. He becomes a shepherding leader in the church who makes policy decisions that care for the most vulnerable people. He is a significant leader in the life of the church, in the early Christian church. But why? Because he hung out with Jesus. James is is an incredible guy. He wrote a little book for us to read. It's five chapters. It is the most practical book on living a distinctive life that you could ever read. It is beautiful. It is rich. It is worth getting our teeth into, the book of James. And in this five-chapter book, in the middle chapter, towards the end, he writes these words to Christians who are doing it tough, Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. He writes these words. Let's look at what he says. He says this, Who is wise... And understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven at all but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, Submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Here's the thing about James. James as this James as this person who didn't follow Jesus but became a follower of Jesus he's reflecting on his life and he's also reflecting 
on Jesus. Because when he writes these words, that the wisdom from heaven is pure and peace-loving, who is who's he describing? He's describing his oldest brother. He's describing Jesus. And when he talked about the wisdom that's earthly, I think he was reflecting back on his wisdom when he tried to take Jesus away and when he didn't accept Jesus. Do, do, do you get it? James grew up in the very family that Jesus grew up in. And finally, the pennies dropped. Finally, and here's the thing, the longer you spend with someone, the more you get to know their true heart. And James knew that what's in someone's heart will eventually come out. If the heart is good, good will come out. If the heart is not good, chaos and disorder will come out. That's what James is saying. James is saying that the core of a person really matters. So what does this mean for us? Well, I'd invite you to consider who who are you travelling life with? Are, are you travelling life with people who live a distinctive, different life? Are, are you, are, do you have a mentor? Do you have someone that? Do you have some people that you can rub shoulders with who can help call you to account on stuff? And when I say call you to account, I mean the important stuff. John Wesley, his plan for a distinctive life included an accountability group, a small group, and what he did in that group, he shared a weakness with them. He shared his weakness, and this, these group, this group of people held him accountable for that weakness that he had. But my question for you today is, who do you go to for spiritual direction? Who do you go to? Lastly, we'll share this briefly. From Peter, we learn this. We need to turn our thoughts to God. Turn our thoughts to Jesus. You know, Peter, Peter's a guy who stumbled, he fell, he, 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 he stumbled in his following of Jesus, he denied Jesus, and Jesus was gracious to him, and Jesus restored him and re- helped him. Uh, Peter got back up and started again, and here's the thing, while we aren't perfect, we have a perfect friend. And that perfect friend is Jesus. And Jesus says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Jesus is the perfect friend. And Peter writes these words, again, to Christians who are being persecuted. He writes these words. Let's have a look at what he says. Peter writes, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. I think you know what fully sober means. He says, With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. At his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So, what is, what is Peter saying? He's, in, he's saying it's really important that we turn our thoughts to Jesus, that we let Jesus be the one that we think about. Steph shared earlier about Valentine's Day. And on Valentine's Day, sometimes people will think about the other person. Sometimes they don't. But here's the thing. God is thinking about you all the time. And he wants us to think about him. 
Jesus loves us, he is for us, and one day we will see him face to face and we need to look forward to his coming. But in order to look forward to his coming, we need to be ready. And the way that we, the church, get ready for Jesus is to live a distinctive life, to live a holy life, a pure life, a life that is wholesome and whole, and a life that aligns with God and his purposes. Because we're not God. God's God. And he's the one that we are to live submissive to, surrendered to in our life. This morning there are some of us here today who may need to make that decision to begin to become a follower of Jesus. And this morning when we, after, you know, after communion we're going to sing a song and I'm going to be at the back and there'll be others at the back. But if you'd like to say, today I would like to become I would like to start that journey of following Jesus. You know, I've realized Jesus isn't just some dead guy 2,000 years ago. He rose again and he's alive now. And maybe today the pennies drop for you. Jesus is alive. And he offers grace, love and forgiveness to each and every one of you. Maybe today you might like to say, yes, I want to become a follower of Jesus. If that's you, you come and see me during the singing of this song. But right now um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a story um, I, I want to encourage you, if you want to grow in holiness, read the book of James or read First Peter or read Hebrews or read Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, Sermon on the Mount. Some of you might want to read a book called uh, The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, written way back in the, you know, the 1930s, 19, uh, yeah, 1930s. Great book in this whole area of distinctive life. And then a contemporary book that's just come out pretty recently, Glittering Vices, a cracker of a book that looks at the sins of our culture and looks at how we can be aware of these in our own heart and life and live a distinctive life. Plenty of good reading. But Thomas Akempis said this, and we'll wrap up with this, and I'll invite the team to come up as we prepare for communion. We must, he says this, We must imitate Christ, Christ's life and his ways if we are to be truly enlightened and set free from the darkness of our own hearts. Let it be the most important thing we do to reflect on the life of Jesus. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.